Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Black Beat Podcast, where we take an unapologetically black approach to profiling the people and stories that are significant to our connectivity and advancements of our community. I'm John Washington. I'm here with my counterpartner, Fawn Aberson. And I'm the CEO and editor-in-chief of Flossin Media, your host for this Black Beat episode. Today, our guest is a good friend and vice president of student services and enrollment management at the University of Oregon, Dr. Roger Day J. Thompson. I'm going to pass this other part over to my partner, Fawn, because I didn't know this about my friend. A lot of this stuff that, that she, she came up with, I just thought Roger was just an exceptional fellow. But the rest of that, I'm going to let Fawn read some of this because it's distinguished. Well, I'd like to take credit for coming up with, but Roger's got a pretty crackerjack team over there that, you know, handles his profile. and But, you know, there's still the man that has to make the profile, and Roger's done an amazing job. He's a nationally distinguished expert in in strategic enrollment management and student services. The good doc has spent the past 13 years enhancing the U of O student experience with a focus on recruitment, retention, and graduation. In the three of the last four years, the university has achieved record enrollment for the largest, most diverse, and most academically prepared freshman class in well, the yeah. history of the institute. That? Man, that is insane. I, oh, yeah. That's why I had to listen to that for, <laughs> for a second. Go ahead, for finish, finish um, His that. dedicated commitment to equal education, access throughout his career, including the universities of Indiana and Alabama, he's also has also earned him kudos and accolades such as the Robert Vance Award. Now see that and this that, this is just going a little bit too far, right? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. The Robert <laughs> Vance Award um, was named in recognition of leadership provided by federal by federal judge Vance who was instrumental in enforcing the desegregation of the South in the 1960s. Yeah, so man. to get an award like that, yeah. you know Roger's character has got to be next it was, it was level. Next level. Rod, you know, you know, you know, Doc got that little charm. I don't know. You got that little uh, innocent boy charm about him. I don't know what it is. You can't help but to like Roger when you walk up to him. Roger's got a smile on his face anyway. (laughs) Well, yeah. Welcome. Welcome, Dr. Thompson. We're so honored to have you. And, you know, let's get into it, Mr. Washington. Yeah, hey. It's great to be with you both. Hey, thank you very much, Roger, for taking this time to come in and see us. Same man. Anyone who has a chance to connect with you knows that you are a dynamic and strategic communicator. Tell us how you develop these skills, Raj. Uh, boy, that's a great opener, John. <laughs> and, and I want to thank you. I would this. say, tell us where you come from, but, <laughs> but I'll get to that one in a minute. You know. Well, I, uh, first, I mean, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's it's pleasure, great to be at Flossen, and, yeah. and uh, I've enjoyed our friendship over the years. Thank you. Um, you know, John, I like you. I mean, I'm a people person. Mm. Yeah, I, I love people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, my whole life, I think I've, I've, over the course of my life, I've learned that you know, if you listen to people, you get to know people, you'll find out uh, who they are and what their interests are. And to me, that's one of the best parts of my job. You know, I have the mm-hmm. chance to get to know so many different folks in, in many different communities, students, families. And so for me, everybody has uh, an opportunity to help educate me. And so getting to know uh, uh many different people has just always been a way of life i think it started you know i you know we all have family stories we could tell but um, <laughs> well, tell us one right? well, you know, I, I will uh, you, you know my grandfather was one of these guys god mm. rest his soul he he never met a stranger mm. and he would go into any place anywhere anyhow 
and he would just be introducing himself before you knew what was happening. <laughs> and he always wanted to hear, you know, who's the, uh, uh, you know, what's happening, who's who's important in their life, what are the things that they're doing, um, all of those things to me. Um, I just watched that as a kid, mm. and so maybe I got some of that too. Thanks, Roger. I, you know, and maybe you have, bro, but because well, you know, grandfathers are important. But, yeah, you know, yeah, no, but term- you know, Roger, like let's not skip over that because you're an award-winning enrollment <laughs> officer in communi- well, he communication. Can always fool at once. So, <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, there is a knack to communication yeah. out there, right? I mean, you got to be a people person and and be genuinely interested. I think that that's something that you have, but it's I think you and Mr. Washington might have this in common, you know, the ability to read personalities. Um, But also it's like, what do you do to improve? What do you do on a daily basis? Or what did you do over the course of time from either schooling or mentoring or or something that allowed you to get more fully present and dialed into, you know, being able to have conversations with there strangers that there simply matter. Digging deeper. But hey, Roger, before, you, before yeah. you go to that one, though, Buffon, that was a great one. But let me back up. Let's get a segue to who this guy is, okay? Let's ask him a little bit about where he come from. What, what, was his, what was the motivators that got him to even begin to even take this step to yeah. get to where he and, is right and, now? And then that wrap that bit. into Yeah, the well, I mean, I, so I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh-oh. Uh, until... Uh, <laughs> In a, in a place, uh, you know, I was in the East Bay, so anybody who's listening who knows Richmond, that was uh, that was where I grew up. Do I know and Richmond? I know you do, Like the gunman in the street. <laughs> <laughs> it was one time, man, I, I, I walked out of a house in Richmond and stepped on the street, and I thought I was stepping on popcorn. There was so many bullet cases <laughs> out the street. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, you know, it, it had its challenges in my day. But, um, but, you know, it was a great time to grow up in the East Bay, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and as a sports fan i mean the oakland raiders were I mean, oh they made, yeah they made my world go oh yeah, yeah. I, I, when the oakland raiders were I'm oakland sure. yeah, yeah. Right. i, I well, ran cliff around to know yeah. Oh, yeah frank hawkins oh, cliff yeah. branch i mean yeah. otis sistrunk's nephew otis too. lived yeah, down yeah. the street from me so <laughs> oh, i got really? to meet otis wow. and uh but anyway so we good. we grew up there for a while and then uh did you play football roger i did for a while oh, yeah shoot. and uh not like not like john did long ballers man you got to get the long ballers in the house we didn't I'm tired of round balls always. Right. Okay. My, my knees are too. I have the bad knees to prove that I do. Oh, wow. But, um, and then we moved to Oregon, right? Yeah, so man. we moved to uh, Hillsboro, and it was it was a small town at that time. Yeah, I mean, it was like 20,000 people and still, uh, still pretty small. Yeah. But it kind of has a lot of intel. Hillsboro has a different feel than it I feel than, like Hillsboro almost was set up just to receive families from technology. Yeah, industry. and we actually weren't one of those. Oh, you fun. weren't? Okay. <laughs> but, you um, been a farm family uh, no, we were. My dad was a banker, oh. and so he oh. uh, he came up here to work for Washington Federal Savings. I don't know if that's oh, still really? around, but I don't think um, so. so I grew up in Hillsboro, and communication was a big part of of who I was. I think because. Uh, as a new kid, new areas, and, and sports always connects you. So when I went off to college, uh, I was a broadcasting major. Oh, I, nice. wanted, I wanted Bill Shonley's job. Oh, there was, wow. See, there was two cats. Even Hope there was the same There you go. Way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no wonder right. I don't want to get so on that, helps. Yeah. that helps. So, you know, we, we came to, uh, I mean, 
I left the Oakland A's winning the 72-73-74 World Series. Of course, the Raiders, uh, Willie Brown, you know, uh, beating the Vikings in the Super Bowl. That was that was Who when was I was that in A's. That was uh, Jackson, wasn't it? Yeah, Reggie yeah. Jackson. Yeah, he was killing Sal them down in yeah, yeah, they were yeah, they were okay. all terrific. Right. And then so then we moved to Oregon, and you know, of course, you have the Blazers, and they won in '77, which was the oh, second yeah, year yeah, I was yeah. here. So. You thought um, you landed on the moon. Yeah, I, I was. It was pretty good, and and uh, so I always wanted to be a sportscaster, and wow. I did a little bit of that. Right on, right. Uh, and uh, but you know, Bill Shonley kind of had the blazer gig wrapped <laughs> yeah, up yeah, there yeah, for a while. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, and and you know, so it's been great. And then my career, as you said, Fawn, it took me to lots of different places uh, around the country. And so when the chance came uh, for me to come back to the University of Oregon as a vice president there, having been at University of Alabama and Indiana mm-hmm. and these other places, uh, you know, I jokingly told that search committee, I said, hey, you don't even need to send a plane. If I get the chance to work at U of O, I'll come walking back if I have to. Luckily, I, I didn't have to, but, uh, but anyway, it's been good. Yeah. And it's been how long now at the U of O? I'm in my 13th year. 13th year. Yeah. That's a good tenure. It's been great. That's a good long time. Yeah, man. yeah. So, Rod, so uh, let's talk a little bit about state education, higher education yeah. these days. You, higher education is in crisis these days, and with student loan debt and, and at all-time high, uh, how is that impacting the work you do and the work you do at the U of O? Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, John, you, you highlighted it. We have some real challenges in higher education. Yeah. Uh, you know, as states have disinvested, and unfortunately, our state is kind of on the front edge of that. Hmm. So the state doesn't put as much money into higher education, and that's pushed all the costs to students and families. Come on, Rod. Now, you know, I'll let you do that, but I've been a, I've been a part of some of them $600 million <laughs> Well, I was going to get to that. Okay, all right. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get to But you start. Okay, go ahead. You were no, building I'm, a platform somewhere, uh, I, I know. I, uh, you know, and so... So the, the downside of that means that the cost moves to students and families. Right. And, and that wasn't the way it was 30, 40 years ago when, when okay. states were more supportive. And I think what we've tried to do at the U of O is we've tried to come up with ways that we can invest in students and families and to open opportunities, uh, particularly for students from underserved and underrepresented communities to come to the University of Oregon. And in doing that, our team and I, and I, I have a great team that I work with back in Eugene, uh, and Jim Brooks and I, he's our senior associate vice president. He and I have worked together for 11 years at the U of O, oh, wow. 12 yeah. years, oh, wow. and we work together at IU. So uh, I, uh, I wanted Jim as my right-hand guy. Oh, that's guy. right. You brought Jim. Yeah, we've good. we've tried to work together in ways that we would ensure, and we're proud of this. While our debt level is too high, it's lower than the state of Oregon average. It's lower than the <laughs> national average, and we keep working to make it lower than our average. And so, um, but it is the challenge, John. And I I think, um, you know, we've we've got to continue. We've been fortunate because we have philanthropists and people that that do give us money for great scholarship programs mm-hmm. uh, that other schools in this state don't have that opportunity to do. But it all. But with that comes the responsibility that we do things like enroll the largest class ever, for the 10th year in a row, the most diverse class ever, the highest academic achieving class. All those things happen, I think, because we have friends of the university that are helpful, and we try to strategically use our dollars to help students. But I appreciate that, Roger. I wish we could all have friends like those. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to tell you. We, well, at least we need to meet a few, right? <laughs> so, Raj, outside of financial matters, okay, uh, what kind of conversations are, are, are you having with the students and parents these days 
about education and about coming to you, those types of things. Yeah, you know, we're talking to students and families about the return on investment. I think there's a lot of families that it's a big expense. I mean, to, to go to the University of Oregon or to get into higher education, that's the the largest expense a family will ever undertake if they don't mm. own their own home. Mm. If they own their own home, it's the second largest mm. investment they'll wow. ever make. Wow. And so we're talking to, to students and families and community members about, wow. well, what's the return on that investment? What, right the, on, what right. will happen for your kid? And, and how can we help your student create a better future for themselves? Yeah. But that's a big, you know, it relates to that first question you asked me. I think families are Everybody is questioning higher education, and it's legitimate. They should. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've become very expensive right, in the last right, right. fifteen years, <clears throat> and so we're well, trying to communicate about how do we, how do we help young people dream and imagine a future that sometimes they can't define, and then how do we help them make that happen? And so you it's those on, kinds of conversations. You touched on a really, really interesting topic, uh, Raj. I mean, when you think about. Some of the statements that you'll hear out there that come from leaders, or community leaders, or people in our government, or some, and most of them, and even entertainers and people, people who have made lots of money, and they'll go, "Well, I did this without going to college," you know, and um, <clears throat> but when you look back on it, you know, even as I look at my kids, um, you know, their whole journey, you know, of what's the incentive and how it starts so early for them, you know. I mean, we literally since, you know, their parents went to college, we realized the value of college, right? So we we started early enough to incentivize them in their mind to try to somehow another uh, culture them in that direction to find the significance in it. But there is some true significant difference in those who did go and those who didn't. And But we'll get into that. Uh, but So what approaches do you employ to ensure equitable access opportunities and educational achievement across the board, Raj? I mean, uh, what are some of the things that you guys are, uh, what approaches are you using? Yeah, well, access is really important to me because as a public university, if you don't have access, well, you're not a public university. Right. Uh, and and uh, part of that is we need to make college as affordable as we can. So we've taken a few initiatives. I, I mentioned scholarships. That's really important. Uh, we've also, we're the only school in the state offering guaranteed tuition. So when you begin at the University of Oregon, we guarantee that your tuition is not going to go up during <laughs> five, bless you, that it's not yeah. going to go up during the five years. Well, hopefully you graduate in four, but we'll hold it constant for five years. Well, yeah, you need so to get that, that five to make four, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but, but uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. You have more applications as freshmen than you can oh, yeah. allow in, right? Oh, yeah. So you have to turn people away from the U of O, right? We, we do. I mean, we had 37,000, 38,000 applications for a freshman class of 5,000. So it was of very 5,000? You had 38,000? So you had to turn 32,000 students well, away? No, some of those students were admitted and decided not to come. But oh. to your point, we, we do have, you know, we have lots of interest. But maintaining access to the University of Oregon is critical, right? Public universities, in my mind, are built on two things. They're built on access and they're built on quality. If you don't have quality, you're offering students and families a false promise uh, about their Mm -hmm. future. And if you don't have access, you're not a public university. And access for me has been part of my career from the very beginning. I mean, you mentioned Mm -hmm. the Robert Vance Award. I'm really 
proud of that. You know, I got to I got to meet John Lewis and spend some time oh, wow. with some people. That, um, yeah, we could do a whole thing on that. That wow. was really fun. But when I went to the University of Alabama, the reason I went was the president uh, of the university wanted to be the number one school for enrolling African Americans. And we were we were kind of dead last in the southeast yeah. when I got there. That was and that was a hard challenge because that's the place where George Wallace stood in the door and said, yeah. you're not coming, coming in. in. Yeah. And so that was a challenge that I really wanted. Um, God rest her soul, Vivian Malone Jones. She was the young woman that was that was there that day wow. in 1962. She became a good friend. Wow. And um, we wouldn't have been able to recruit African-Americans and become the number one school in the southeast for their enrollment had it not been for Vivian. And the meetings I had with her in Atlanta were incredible just to hear her story and how important it was to her to see that university mm. change and she believed when I said we're going to change it together and we did and and uh, through that I got to meet a lot of really interesting people <laughs> also and that award meant a lot because Judge Vance was an incredible hero uh, mm. at a really tough time and he paid with his life I mean he, yeah. he was killed I mean they, they killed him uh, because of how supportive he was of integration and so um Wow. I was really flattered to earn that. I, I appreciate you saying that. I don't talk about it very often, but it's one of those things that really, it means a lot to me. It's probably one of the highlights of my career. But anyway, back to access. Well, wait a minute, man. That's wait, wait, wait. Don't skip past that <laughs> okay. so quickly. Okay. You know, but, but at the same time, no wonder you had that, I walked with Martin Luther King look. <laughs> you know, That's but, a great like, compliment, John. You know, Thank yeah. like, I was looking at Roger. Roger always looking at I was looking at Roger. Roger's got something a little bit of a little edgy. Like, he looked like he walked with Martin Luther King <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Being a part of a, a social change movement like that, and then you know what? Year, what decade was that, Roger? Well, we were telling doing on that yourself. At, at the University of Alabama in the nineties. Okay, that so was, right, wow. and it's but the nineties, no right? And then you know, fast forward to two thousand in the Black Lives Matter movement, and then the George Floyd thing. So when you're a part of a movement that really, you know, dictates change, and in the 90s, what was happening, Tupac and all those, you yeah. know, there were gang warfare. You could listen to hip hop in some cities or towns, right? right? Uh, you know, AIDS was running rampant and stuff. So there was a lot of social unrest in the 90s, right. uh, not unsimilar like there has been today. So what was the key to being a part of that change leadership yeah. like how were you enrolling some other people who were like because sometimes change on that level is overwhelming yeah you know what i mean well it was a challenge i mean when i you know i was a west coast guy so when i got to alabama and i i had always been around sort of I would call change movements, right? right. I mean, my, right. my parents hosted a Ron Dellums, right. uh, you know. A rich man. Being in a oh, Ron Dellums? Time, what's yeah, what's you know, that? What's well, that? Ron Dellums was a congressman yeah. uh, oh. from the East Bay yeah. uh, okay. who made a big yeah, difference. I and, okay. him, yeah. and uh, you know, my mother was probably the only person in Hillsborough driving around in 1984 with a Run, Jesse, Run sticker <laughs> on the back of her car. So. <laughs> I would say so, Ron. <laughs> there weren't many of those in Oregon, not, not alone not in here. Hillsborough. Tell me about and, it. And so, you know, but when I got to Alabama, that was... Um, it was a bigger challenge than I thought. Wow. I thought I could kind of come in. I'd worked at USC. I'd right, you know been right. some places. I'd been kind of the assistant coach. Now I was the head coach. And uh, 
it was tough. And one of the things we did in 2002 at that university, we celebrated 50 years of what we called opening doors. Wow. And um, <coughs> Robert Kennedy Jr. came in to speak. Uh, Coretta Scott King. We had, we had a lot of a lot of things going on that week. And um, and that's where I got to know Vivian and uh, Vivian Malone's Jones. And she, she was just incredible. I'd encourage anybody to go read up on her. She was an amazing woman. And um, and so I was talking to her and I said, you know, I got this goal that we want to make the University of Alabama the institution of choice for African Americans. Wow. And I think wow. you're the one that can help wow. me. And she wow. laughed and she wow. said, How can I help you? And I said, wow. I don't know, but let's figure that out. Wow. And um, she wow. was great. Wow. We you know, we were featured in Jet magazine uh, for that integration uh, uh, or celebration in two thousand two. I bought ten thousand copies. Was your picture uh, man, in Jet, Jet no, Magazine, no, no, no. Roger? No, was your cool. picture in Jet no. Magazine? No, but Vivian's. It wasn't <laughs> Ebony, but it was Jet. You know. <laughs> but we bought ten thousand <laughs> copies of Jet Magazine. That's oh, all right. Wow. And we put them in every oh, wow. kid's hands. I know Mr. Johnson was appreciative of oh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we were a big subscriber that time. Yeah, you and me both. I actually had the time to meet him, and uh, that's what really made me get into media. Really, is that it was right? Mr. Johnson, yeah, and his daughter was when they took over Ebony. And our, our, Flawson was slotted to, to be a competitor to that magazine. Its original intent was to go against Ebony. Well, not go against it, but to sort of be in the marketplace yeah. to be uh, something in parallel in this content. In 1922, I mean, in 2022, in response to escalating violence in the Northeast Portland, Roger, the University of Oregon established the, ba the, ba the Balmore Institute for Children's Behavioral Health. Tell us how and, how and why this move came about, Raj. Yeah, this is, a, this is a great thing, I think, for Northeast Portland and for the University of Oregon. So Connie and Steve Ballmer. Steve Ballmer, of course, was the CEO of Microsoft for a long time, owns the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, and his wife, Connie, grew up in Portland. And so mm -hmm. Portland means a lot to her. And she's a University of Oregon alum. Mm -hmm. And both of them together are concerned about what I would call underserved and underrepresented communities. And so um, they saw a crisis with children's health. Uh, you and I have talked yeah, about this yeah, off man. air many yeah, times, yeah. Uh, along with some of the leading uh, uh, therapists here in Portland. And so they wanted to make a difference in Portland. Well, it just so happened that Concordia University was also for sale uh, in Northeast Portland. <laughs> oh, boy, Rod, you scared by that, boy. You, <laughs> but, you, but all right, Sniper. All right, Sniper. I'm going to let you Secretly. get down Secretly. Down the road a little bit so, on this. One. I won't pull you back. <laughs> All right, go ahead. So uh, you know, so here was this opportunity uh, for the University of Oregon, with the great philanthropic help of the of the Balmer family, Connie and Steve, to you know really begin to make a difference in Northeast Portland. And I think one of the things that's exciting about uh, what will now be University of Oregon Portland is we have the physical space. We now have the program, as you highlighted, that we're building out uh, to work with, you know, I mean, children today, and by children, really, I mean, kind of K through 12. I mean, okay. there's so much um, trauma in their lives. There's so many things going on that we need to be addressing as a society. Ooh. And that's really important to the Balmers. And so uh, it became this great opportunity for us to merge maybe some academic help, uh, make a difference in, in Portland and in mm. a community that um, I think is really important to not just the University of Oregon, but the state of Oregon. And so uh, 
you know, so these things kind of came together in this great opportunity. I mean, you know, John, you were you were involved in it early as we yeah, were yeah. Uh, announcing it. And so I I think we have tremendous potential with what that can mean and how it can impact. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to see how we develop it. Folks, Roger, as in his normal way, is modest as <laughs> usual. <laughs> but, but um, you know, Roger, in support of what you're saying and also some of the other aspects of this, two parts of it that sort of resonates for me, and I would agree about the trauma part, Roger, is finally somebody's actually hearing that. I think the history of mental health in the black community and the black community or the people of color's community and their approach to mental health has always been a little bit skewed and suspect. Uh, you know, we call it the white, the white robe phobia. You know, we don't, uh, at least speaking from black folks, we don't go and necessarily sit on the couch. We're not that comfortable with that aspect of it. And, and it took the, the uh, Board of Mental Health and not only the Board of Psychology, Psychiatry or and psychology and all those those organizations to really begin to challenge themselves to take a look at how they um, uh, sort of engage the community in mental health. And so, and for us as as activists, as therapists, as interventionists or whatever, we we all knew historically that our community had these issues, but there was no kind of engagement to be able to move that needle. And we started seeing it produce itself or reproduce itself after a while. And then once we realized that trauma was six generational, it, we then began to understand some of the phenomenon that was going on in, in reference to that. So, but None of that, but then the second part about the Concordia part, okay? Now, <laughs> I love where y'all going with it, but it was so funny because Fawn and I and, and the organization that we were a part of happened to have some insight a little bit early on about Concordia and its opportunity that they were presenting. And, and it was so, uh, so interesting how we took it to the city, right? And missed opportunity, I mean, because when we look at some of the the need for housing, for uh, communities of color to be able to grow, because you, you already know what the economic of, of some of the, um, the issues around gentrification and all that stuff that hit the Northeast in such a way to where it almost cut its population in half. And when we saw that asset come available, we, we thought it was a, a rather, we got rather motivated to see if we can get some of the powers to be to, to invest in that opportunity to bring on some other opportunity. But then, out of nowhere, comes this this bullet or whatever this thing that Slide came up in from like UG. Light wind. <laughs> the longest shot ever shot. We can just do it. Well, who did what? <laughs> and who had something to do with it? You said Roger has something to do with this? <laughs> no. Ooh, I got to go get him. <laughs> I got to But anyway, to see that you guys were able to acquire such a large asset and to put your money sort of where your mouth is. And, and we, we are really motivated, Raj, to support you guys and to making sure that this reality comes to, to light because, believe you me, the trauma and how it has affected people, communities of color over generations, and at least in the state of Oregon, this opportunity is long overdue, Raj. So. But, John, yeah. with the Balmer Institute, Roger, like what, it's a two-year program, but what, so if a young person 
can you like yeah, what's well, the point like i'm i'm instead of going to the u of o and eugene i'm going to have a special niche so can you tell us about the sure. profile and then the it's expected track, outcome yeah. <laughs> horse track well, well, horse track or horse track horse track well we got okay. the horse track up the street <laughs> <laughs> well it's now nascar but anyway i, mean, I think the um and, and first i mean there's so many people that made this happen i, I appreciate you saying i mean i I was proud to be one small part of how this uh, came about. But I think what the what we're trying to do at the Balmer Institute is uh, we will have students that start in Eugene and come to Portland for their last two uh, years. We'll have students that start in Portland and do all four years. So some of the details around the program depend on what the student wants and how it works. One of okay, the great, one so of the, it is a four-year program. Yeah. One okay. Of the, one of the great things about... Um, the the children's behavioral health is that we have a great scholarship that comes with it gotcha. uh, that will take 40 Oregonians who are interested in this program uh, who have financial need and I think uh, the Balmer family was particularly interested in helping students in the community around the, the new University of Oregon in Portland, as well as just Portland in general. And so those students will have Ooh. tuition, fees, room, board, everything paid. Man, oh, nice. uh, and that's a tremendous Ooh. opportunity for, uh, we think, a lot of young people to come and, and study in a field, as John said, that is really needed. I mean, we yeah. we have to get better in the Innovation. way we're helping our I'm young hearing people. You Intervention. Yeah, and generally students who've had, you know, the direct impact to that kind of trauma, gent tend to gravitate towards it you know yeah. so you'll see a lot of people go into the medical field because maybe their parents or somebody had medical issues you'll see a lot of people go into the legal field you know because maybe there's some, been some trauma around some folks in their family that's been incarcerated and things like that do you expect to have a similar enrollment here from students who may have had some of this mental health trauma or this gun violence trauma and their you know, daughters or, or brothers or sisters or of, of that kind of trauma, do you expect to see them showing up in this? And then that's a whole other level of student, well, right? Well, yes. I mean, yeah. we, so it's not just what we're doing with the Balmer Institute and that particular program. This is also an opportunity to grow other programs on that campus, right? Where we can uh, move our campus, our programs that are in downtown Portland at the moment will move out to the new UO Portland campus that was Concordia. So what you going to do and with the, that building down there? Well, that's that's probably uh, Rod, a, don't future, even try <laughs> a future discussion. Well, uh, well I'd we, like to be privy to that conversation. But so the, but, the but students, do, right? They yeah, are the graduates can move out to the to the new UO Portland campus. But to your point, I mean, I think the bigger issue. Uh, well, I don't want to minimize what's being done with the Balmer Institute is huge, right? It'll make a a significant difference in the community hmm. but the secondary issue is well how does the university of oregon become a good partner how do we become a good community member in a part of portland where we have not had a had a flag yeah. in the ground yeah. so to right. speak and yeah. so what does that mean in terms of economic development and how do we partner in ways um you yeah. know i'm very thankful for the lunch we had a yeah. couple months yeah. ago i, yeah, I felt like you gave me a doctorate in yeah man you know uh, yeah. uh perspective and economic development and challenges in the african-american community and so i think those are the things that as we begin to develop out university of oregon portland that will uh give us great opportunity yeah, i but, think to make a difference yeah. so but just to close the the 
line of conversation on the students of the Balmer Institute. So are they expected to graduate? And then when I think John and I attended a press conference that you guys had held, it was in indicating that maybe some of these graduates would then show up in schools as well, what as hope. guidance counselors or yeah, as I mean, as behavioral wow. specialists wow. behavioral specialists Ooh. yeah i mean that's, i love it love that's it. a part that we're we'll need state licensure right. to do but right. we've had yeah. commitments from the folks in salem that they're prepared to do that that's okay and so yeah. that's you know we need those kinds of folks in our schools we we need students that come from this background to be in k12 schools to help make a difference uh, yeah, for students when they're at that formative age that, that helps them get ready. Yeah, for what's mental next. health guidance, John. You, you think you always wow, tell that <laughs> that story about the lady who led Black Lives Matter, and she's when asked the question, "What would you?" What would uh, when uh, when the narrator was asking her, "If you had a reparations bag that you can give to every black person, a black family, what would be the things that would be in that bag?" And the first thing she said would be an unlimited access card to mental health services. Uh. The first thing she said, How about that? and I and I looked at that I looked at that lady and I said, "Girl, you hitting it right on the head," mm-hmm. you know. And because of Raj, I mean, my whole history as an interventionist, man, over the years, I mean, we st- we started out with looking at the state's drug and alcohol ORs. We're looking at how addictions were affecting the bottom line of certain demographics, and of course, we're looking at the history of trauma that is related to the history of African Americans in this country as a result of slavery and all those things. So the manifestation and the impact has just been devastating. Yeah. And for for us to have not, and even as simple stuff, right? So when you talk, when I think about my dad, when he came back from the Korean War as a POW, right? A wounded POW, they took the, they put him on the bus after coming back from Korea after being a POW for four months, and they just let him off on the corner downtown in the town, and, and <laughs> just luck. said, "See you later." <laughs> yeah. You know, and that was it. Did, and then he had eight kids on top of that. Right. And do you think all of us? Now you see why I just get a little crazy every once in a while. <laughs> you know, just but, look, but, you know, but you John, know. you you've been in this work for a long time. A long time, right? You you have been uh, involved in trying to help kids and in in sort of dealing with mental health. Uh, issues, your background in therapy and all those right. things that you've done to try to make a difference. And I think I think the hope of the Balmer family and the hope of the University of Oregon is that here we're going to give it a we're going to give it a shot, shot. of steroids. So, you know, yeah, let's man. really juice yeah. this thing up and yeah. get it going. And yeah. I think that's Amen, brother. That. Yeah, Amen. I, I think it's exciting. I, man, I'm not mad at him about that at all. I mean, I think that's probably that's he should get an award. They should get an award for that just that decision yeah. alone. I, I mean, mean if your father, but you know, we talked about the trauma with these kids coming from these families, but John, you and I have both experienced kids who's graduated from college as well, right? And there's that, and Roger, we talked about that a little bit. There's that phase where you've just graduated and you're kind of maybe seeing some of your, you know, fellow uh, graduate uh, classmates already land someplace. And there's a lot of people who don't land and mental health is so important right there. You know, a wellness program coming out of that in a day. So, um, you know. How is the U of O doing with well, that kind of stuff? Yeah, and, I mean, I think, and will this kind of program maybe serve something in that area? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're um, we have to acknowledge that. I, I don't know what you two think, but I think it's really hard to be a young person today. Oh yeah, right. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's a lot I'm tougher than, than my day. And yeah. and you know that that phone and social media oh, creates this world that seems perfect. 
And most people's worlds aren't perfect. Right. And in fact, the people posting on social media, their world's not perfect either. But what they put out there via social media can really impact the people that are receiving those messages sure. in ways that they feel like, well, gosh, look at this. this. This person, everything's wonderful for them, and it's not wonderful for me. And so I think it creates kind of this expectation that's a little bit unrealistic. Now, yeah. at the university's end, we've got to do a better job on career prep preparation, right. uh, you know, helping our students determine what the best path is. I read something, you all get a kick out of this. Um, well, it's concerning, actually. I, I read a thing in the Los Angeles Times, you know, I'm, I spent so long in Southern California, I still read it every morning. Mm. And they were asking high school kids mm. what they expected when they went to college and when they got done. Mm. And this young woman said, um, well, when I graduate from college, I'll get my dream job. <laughs> I mean, think about that for yeah, a second. Yeah. Your first job out of college is going to be your dream job? Delusional. Yeah. It sure wasn't for me. Not that I didn't like what I did, but it, I don't think it was a dream. And so, but there's the expectation of where an 18-year-old young woman in Los Angeles is about what this is going yeah, to mean. Yeah. And so I just think there's a lot of work we need to do there. And, you know, Rod, um, it's kind of interesting because well, I don't know if you remember uh, lately, recently, I might have called your office. Um and, yeah. oh, and yeah. it's similar to this That's kind right. of thing, man. And, you know, you get a student in crisis. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I like the way the U of O has their crisis center set up and all that kind of stuff. But I think uh, for some students, they require just a little bit more, man, at least some monitor, monitoring and or being able to allow them to assimilate into a, a normal uh, protocol, but at the same time have these special needs. And we're able to insulate that special need or at least come to its aid in its way with, that doesn't ostracize the student or make yeah. them seem in the least bit. So I'm hoping that with the Bomber Institute in this situation yeah. here is that kids and young people who do have some special needs in that area can come to an environment, get a higher education, and not sink as a result of some of the 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 um, peripheral impact, the stuff that is normal in college. You know, right. they struggle. You know, after freshman, I mean, the sophomore year, everybody won't go home. <laughs> you know? right. I I tell you a quick story. I remember this guy, his biggest guard I ever seen in my life, named John Gallows, a kid out of New York State. Okay. And this cat was the biggest guard I had ever seen. And Rutgers brought him home, right? And it was all cool. We all go to the Piedmont for the 30-day preseason camps, right? Yeah. And so they got us out there, and we're in this military school named Heights Town, and, and all of us, and so we're doing the two-a-days, right? And they come in, and the first thing they say is, the only way out of here is that little boat down by the dock <laughs> on that river. Okay, and the river don't go that far. So, <laughs> but if you want out of here, that little boat you can have. After about five days or two a day, 12 o'clock in the morning. They didn't tell us that it was connected to a bullhorn and everything. <laughs> so if you got on it and started paddling, they do. Everybody else do too. So we came out there, and big old John Gallows is sitting out in the middle of the river crying. Tell me how long ago. <laughs> so what kind of mental health services did you? But you know, <laughs> but you right. know what, Raj? They invested so much money in John. That John was able to make it to the regular season, but he didn't even seem like he went through camp. 
<laughs> but John wound up going to the Jets. So, you know, so he did all right. Big boy. He did all right after a while. Man, though, so you yeah. know what? But back to the whole thing, though, is when you look at technology and all these things that universities can focus on for the workforce of tomorrow, the fact that the U of O really prioritized mental health on this level is a big Man, deal a because big so one. many people call for it, but not a lot of people actually put action to that. So it will be interesting to watch this. It's, it's going to be really fun to watch it develop. Right, and right. you know, the the um, University Health Services on our campus reports to me, and we've hired five additional therapists to try to meet mm -hmm. the mental health need. We're still behind. Right We're on. still okay. behind. Okay. Because it's, it's, so, uh, it's so prevalent. And COVID, in a lot of ways, you know, kind of highlighted oh, yeah. that stuff sure and, made it, and made it even more challenging. So, right, right. Um, but I know you're a busy man and you've given us a little bit of time. So I, the last question that I yeah. want to at least run by you here. Okay, now that you're, the U of O is operating in the Soul District, you over here in the Northeast Portland, what type of impact are you hoping to, to make within the community, Raj, both business and residential? Yeah, I, that's the part I really mm -hmm. hope we will we will be able to deliver on because I think I think the way a lot of us at the university myself included think about the Northeast community is so now we're a new neighbor we're a new right. partner right. and there's a lot happening in the Northeast right I mean you got the I-5 expansion you've oh, got yeah. uh, a lot of things happening in terms of development, development right and you know we have I think expertise that can help right a good business school helps people think about how small businesses develop, uh, helps um, communities think about uh, how structures provided. We have a lot of academic resources that can help. We have we have a great community team led by uh, Matt Roberts that I'm, I'm sure people will get to know as we move into this campus. But I think it's about economic development. I think it's about opportunity. I think it's about being a good partner mm. in Northeast Portland. I think it's about being a partner to help solve issues. You know, and and and, you know, how do we help students and families get to higher education, get to the University of Oregon? That's a big piece. But a secondary piece is, you know, how do we how do we become a key partner as this part of our community strengthens and grows and develops? And I I think we have a lot to offer there. And I I just hope we recognize that potential. You know, uh, Doc, mm -hmm. if if I was a betting man. Well, let me back up because somebody might have heard that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, somebody might you come in and get that. <laughs> the bookie might show up at the door, right? You never could tell. I might need therapy next week. You know, <laughs> but but the, the one thing I'm really excited about in the district is you guys' presence. It is almost like sometimes it's it's difficult to determine. What's the obstacle that is holding us in suspended animation in the posture in terms of us, our ability to grow and advance as a community, as a community of people, as a, as a culture, whatever? And what I'm hoping and what I'm seeing the potential for is for a village to constantly be sort of... Um, uh, um, ravished by a tiger or a lion, but now to have had some kind of animal, some kind of protector, something that comes into that community that's equally as big as that tiger. 
and stand me to at least yeah. begin to be the voice yeah. of a people who might have who might have obstacles that maybe ain't nobody else talking about. They may be built within the fabric of the construct, whatever that is. But to have an institution of higher education, much like Portland State has played a part in right. a lot of these things, I am so glad to know that the big dog on a leash is sitting on our porch. Well, you know, to keep them wolves off the damn porch. <laughs> okay. They will at least be able to come to some solution on how to deal with them because mm-hmm. that's what the institution of higher education is really right. all about, Roger. It's about figuring out ways to improve on our condition, mm-hmm. right. you know, and the condition of people. So, with that said, Whoa, whoa. This has been a barn burner, and I don't know <laughs> if any of y'all know about it. I got got my partner, Fawn Aberson, here online with us, and uh, we got Dr. Thompson in the house. And let me tell y'all something. This is one of those opportunities and times that I'm excited about what I do to bring to you guys this information in time. So, again, thank you very much, Dr. Robert Thompson, for coming in and talking to us and being a part of our podcast today. Hey, listen here, Black Beach Live, well, and keep on coming with the information that you need. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, John.